This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, and we've got them all today. Whatever's on your heart, you need only to call us, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, on this beautiful day, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, hope you had a really good uh, holiday yesterday. We did, and I got a lot done, so... um, Appreciate you being back here with us today. Nothing going on, so let me get right to some of the questions that have been sent in. Our first one is from Dewey. And he says, Hi, Pastor Ron, what is Christian nationalism? I've never heard of this term until recently, and now I see it being debated on many Christian and political platforms, especially on top, uh, I'm sorry, especially on our top national news broadcast. Is this a good thing to be called or is this a smear campaign for Christians? What's your perspective on this? And does the Bible address this type identity? Uh, do we, th- this is a long, long, long drawn out answer. And I'm going to give you the, the short version of it. Uh, Christian nationalism is um, uh, really ga- sort of gained momentum during the Trump years. Um, it is, is meant as a pejorative. Um, they're not being nice to us when they when they talk about us being Christian nationalists. And they go to one extreme. I'll talk about both extremes here uh, in a minute. Uh, it, it is it is that uh, group of Christians who um, supported Donald Trump no matter what he did. Now, Don, Donald Trump's sins were well exposed. Um, I, there were people that even claimed that Donald Trump was God's man in office, and he was sort of uh, uh, predicted in the Bible, and and they believe that Donald Trump is going to restore or was going to restore all of our fortunes, of course, when he lost the election, especially these heavily leaning political churches. 
Um, you know, they they uh, advanced the notion that he was going to win. There were even Christians who were saying, professing Christians, who were saying that uh, he's going to get the, the, the Oval Office back. God told them, and there were prophecies over and over. And the idea is that these Christians are more concerned with a, a national kingdom than they are the kingdom of God. So Christian nationalism simply is those people who really do believe that if we elect the right candidate, the right platform, then everything is going to be well and everything is going to change. And Dewey, that is a shame. It is an absolute shame that any Christians all believe it. Again, the critics who are saying we're Christian nationalists, um, they're exaggerating. Uh, but uh, the church has earned a lot of that exaggeration. Um, there are churches that devote themselves entirely to uh, Christian nationalism and uh, wrongly believe. And, and the reason this is so important is that they wrongly give hope, false hope, to people thinking well, all we have to do is is win this election or vote for this president. And we have to be more concerned with and involved in political matters and earthly matters when, in fact, uh, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with whoever's in office in the United States of America. Now, I'm a conservative guy um, um, politically. Uh, I'm conservative by nature. I'm certainly conservative theologically. Um, but people who believe that there are answers for the sin in this world and particularly in this country... Um, apart from our hope in Jesus Christ returning. They're causing a lot of damage, and they are bringing shame to the name of Christ. So uh, that's what Christian nationalism is, and we just need to avoid it. Uh, that's why, at Dewey, we teach the Bible. We're not going to talk about political things. Um, when you're teaching the Bible, you get a lot of opportunities to talk about sin. And this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. So we stand up for what is right, and we declare unashamedly that this particular thing is sin or that particular thing is sin. Uh, and you can do that just teaching through the Bible. But those churches that have made politics and a political stand uh, the center of their approach, uh, those are the churches and evangelicalism uh, is is sort of at the forefront of this. There are just a lot of churches pandering to the crowds and rather than declaring Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead, instead of teaching the Bible chapter by chapter, uh, verse by verse, um, they've got their own hobby horse. Uh, the problem, of course, is that those churches are jam-packed. They're bringing in more money than anybody knows what to do with. And it's just a shame because the people sitting in those churches are being ripped off. One other comment on this, Dewey. I experienced firsthand people contacting me after Trump lost the last election. And then when they were given false hope that he would be given back the White House, uh, I experienced the hopelessness of those people. It was almost like God has failed That's what it was like when Jesus came. When the crowds heard that he wasn't going to get rid of Rome, that he'd come to save the people from themselves, it was like God had failed and they'd, they'd lost all hope. 
And our hope has got to be in Jesus Christ alone. Our Bible says that things are going to get worse. God's not causing them to get worse. God just predicted they would get worse. And wherever we are now, things are going to get worse. And do we? they're going to get worse regardless of who wins the midterms uh, last November or who's going to win the presidential election and the uh, Senate and House elections uh, in, in uh, 2024. So we, we have to be realistic about this. The Bible says, in the end, in fact, he told Timothy, mark this, in the last days there will be perilous times, terrible times. And those are the times that we're involved in right now. So Dewey, hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Uh, you don't have to get caught up in that. Nobody has to get caught up in that if we'll just simply open our Bibles. Here's a question from Jennifer from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, what does the Bible say about this issue? My daughter left our house at 16 because she didn't want to follow our Christian lifestyle. Uh, she blatantly said, I don't want to be a Christian. Against my rules, she went to stay with my mom, who is also a Christian. She visits her ungodly father every weekend, does things there, uh, and then comes back to my mom's. She did some things that we don't approve of. Now at 18, about to graduate, I advised my mom to kick her out and go live with her dad. She said, no, what are your thoughts? Jennifer, these are always sad things to me. Um, you know, when you, your mom, you say your mom's a Christian and she's giving your daughter shelter and license, permission really, to sin. Um, um, boy, that's that's something that you got to address with your mom. Um to call yourself a Christian, allow your your 18-year-old um, granddaughter to go to um, uh, a boyfriend's house or somebody else's house and doing things uh, that are ungodly, and there's no consequences. Uh, that's just destroying um, her witness for Christ, your, your mom's witness for Christ. Uh, but it's also really destroying any chance that uh, your daughter has for... Um, having to deal with the consequences and, and turning to Christ. I, I, it's so frustrating to me as a pastor because I watch parents all the time in, and grandparents enabling their, their kids and grandkids to sin. And they went, well, but it's my daughter. It's my son. Where else are they going to go? What else are they going to do? When they start making adult decisions, then they've got to deal with adult consequences. So it's really important that you understand this. And I think this is something that you and your mother need to talk through. Now, I don't know what your relationship is with your mother. You don't give us any other details in this. But but to permit this girl at 18 years of age or 16 years of age when she left, um, to, to permit her to, uh, to, to live there and, and pursue a lifestyle of sin, is um, the worst possible parenting or grandparenting uh, that could be accomplished. So, um, you know, I, I, because I don't have more information, I can't say a lot. I'm sorry for your pain. Um, but um, now she's 18 years old. Um, you've told her everything that you need to tell her. She knows who you are and has rejected it. So now you need to leave her alone. Just leave her alone. Pray for her. Love her. But leave her alone. Again, you, I, I do really believe you need to work this issue out with your mom. But, but leave your daughter alone and pray for her and love her and let her know that there is a place, a safe place that she can come to when her life falls apart. 
but that's Jesus' house. So really, without the more information, Jennifer, I can't say a lot more than that. Uh, but as parents and, and in this culture, grandparents, we've really got to examine our heart. We don't really trust God at all if we're, we're simply going to provide safe space for our kids to sin simply because they're our kids. Paul and I are praying. We have one son who's unsaved. And, uh, and he's a wonderful guy. But but we're praying as we're walking. We're praying, Lord, whatever it takes to bring him to you. Whatever it takes, Lord, to bring him to you. We're far more concerned about him going to heaven than we are about anything that's going on in this world. And I think that's the conversation you need to have with your mother. Pray for your daughter. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Terry from our email inbox. Um, We recently went to a Gateway Fellowship Church affiliated with the San Antonio Gateway Church. The beliefs description is vague on the website, and it's hard to find uh, anything out online because there are so many Gateway churches. Do you know anything about this church? Uh, We are trying to find a church close by, but our options are few and far between. Terry, I don't know where the church is, and I've been asked twice about this in the last few weeks about Gateway Fellowship. Um, and you're right. There, there, uh, there, there are some questions, some um, red flags. Uh, anybody that doesn't really talk about um, what they do, what they believe, uh, their stand on the Bible, they have a very vague statement of faith. But those are red flags. Um, and uh, this is a, a multi-site church here in town, uh, primarily on the far west side or northwest side. Um, and uh, I, I just think there's some things. I don't know anything firsthand. Um, I couldn't even find any teachings uh, that they had. I was looking for uh, something I teach so I could, I could just see what they're teaching about. I don't know if those churches all have a, uh, an in-person pastor who's doing the teaching or whether it's a, a video church, um, but, but I would be uncomfortable and I would not... Um, I would not feel comfortable there just based on what I've seen. Uh, I I can tell you this, Terry, if you are on the northwest side, uh, we have planted a church uh, in the Alamo Ranch area of San Antonio. Uh, It's called Calvary Chapel Northwest, I think is the name of the church. Uh, The pastor is Ellis Goins. Now, they haven't been there long, and it's a small church, but I think personally, Getting in at the beginning of a church is a wonderful thing. And you can find them uh, online. You can find them um, just by asking information for their phone number. Uh, if you talk to them, tell uh, whoever answered the phone, Pastor Ron uh, from Calvary Chapel San Antonio uh, referred you to them. And they are, they're a wonderful group of people. Um, uh, the pastor there was in our church, I don't know, for 12 years or more. A wonderful guy, gifted Bible teacher, and I can promise you that his heart is right, his doctrine is right, and he is going to stand firm with what the Bible says. So, uh, Terry, I hope that helps. I would like to have given you more information, but they made it hard to find information. Here's a question from George from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. Sorry I haven't socialized lately. 
But I hope all is well with you and Paula. Irma and I are doing great. Oh, George, I, we've been missing you. And then he says this, we're right across the street here in La Mirada from a wonderful little church. Pastor Chuck, that's really his name, he says, I think, uh, is, I think, 76 years of age. Uh, the quaint little building dates back to around 1952. I just wanted to ask your opinion on the song that is linked below called Long Black Train, if it would be appropriate to perform in the church. The congregation is very small. The services are very informal. Of course, I should ask Pastor Chuck this, but just wanted an unbiased opinion. I hope you can easily lay the song aside if it's not church-worthy. Hope to see you when we visit Texas, my brother. And he signs it, George. George, thank you very, very much. Um, um, I, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I like small churches. So I, I don't, I, I, there's nothing wrong with the church being small and intimate. I think in a lot of times, uh, that's a really, really good thing. And helps people grow. So I think you and Irma um, ought to be pretty good about that. With with regard to the I'm assuming this is a cowboy church or country church because I listened to the link that you sent me for the song and George, that is like very, very country. It's very, very country. Uh, I'm not a country music fan, uh, but that song is country. The guy who sings it has a great country voice. Um, the lyrics are wonderful. I don't see anything wrong. I would not be comfortable using that as a song in one of our worship sets here at Calvary Chapel um, because it would just just for you. I just don't think it's that style of song. But there's nothing at all wrong with the lyrics. And if your pastor's comfortable with it, I would not. That would not raise any concerns for me. Uh, there's no questionable lyric. It has a very specific message. Uh, the message is right on the money. And I think that the song is uh, is worth listening to for everybody, George. And uh, I would not be uh, spooked out if I were you if that was being done in church. Um, but as I said, to be completely honest, I, I, I wouldn't let that song be performed in our church simply because of um, it's not worship style for us. It's just not, just not Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. But it's a good song. The lyrics are great. And I love the message in it. So, George, God bless you. God bless you. Let's go to Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thank you for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I pray that you're doing well today. I am, Ruben, especially because it's getting warmer. I know, I know, I know, I know. And it's <laughs> soon we're going to have those three-digit uh, days, and we're going to wish it was cold. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I never wish it was oh, cold. Oh, I'm ready for 100. Oh, okay. it can't. It can't get okay. hot enough for me and Paula. Oh, no. I've been Texas born, Texas raised, and I still can't get used to it. Never will. <laughs> <but> <laughs> What's up, my friend? This is the way it is. Um, I, I, had a, I had a question I was uh, reading, and um, the I wanted to know, do you know exactly how old the Earth is? I mean, do you know if when Adam and Eve uh, walked the Earth, was there a set time like, you know, uh, 14 AD or BC and or whatever, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, Ruben. One of the things that you know, God gives us the information we need. He doesn't give us all the information that we want. 
And so we don't know. Uh, I have so many questions. How, how long were they in the Garden of Eden before uh, she ate from the tree of the, the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil? Um, how, how, uh, how long um, after she ate were they expelled? Um, we, we don't know. We, we just don't have any idea uh, because God doesn't deem that necessary uh, information for us. It's a story about Jesus, the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Um, but um, probably um, we think the earth is between six and 10,000 years old. Um, I know science teachers and and worldly people, secular people, laugh at us. Oh, you! everything is millions or billions of years old. Uh, it's not. It's a relatively young earth. Uh, we don't know exactly how old Adam and Eve would have appeared to be when they were created. We know they were created in an unfallen state and perfection and able immediately to begin um, procreating. So so we, we don't have any information. I tend to think, Reuben, that they weren't in the garden for very long. Uh, when they were expelled, uh, because they had no children in the garden. Their children were born um, after they were expelled from the garden, and since in a perfect, unfallen state, uh, they could have had children almost right away. Uh, We know that they didn't. Now, they had many, 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 many children uh, once they were expelled from the garden. But we really don't know. Uh, that information, and I think we've got to be content with uh, the information that God gave us. And while I like to think about these things, um, the reality is that uh, we don't know when that happened for sure. And we also, obviously they weren't doing calendars back then or, or, or counting time back then, so we really don't know. Um, any more than than the information that we're given. I wish I had better answers, okay. but Jesus no, will tell no, you those no, answers. That's, okay. that's what it, that's all it's about. It's just about Jesus. And this is something like you. I was just thinking about it. Yep. Good Thank to hear you, from sir. you. I love you too, man. Good to hear yeah, from God you. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Manny from our email inbox. Pastor Ryan, I'd like to know your thoughts on motivational speaker Devin Franklin. I listened to him. He speaks about God. He's a great communicator and seems like a great overall guy. He's also a producer of Christian movie movies. I recently found out that he got divorced after 10 years from Megan Good, another Christian actress. And his response was that they prayed about it. And the Lord said that we should go our separate ways. Uh, and he puts paraphrasing here in parenthesis. Besides, for biblical reasons, I thought the Lord hates divorce. Uh, Of course, I don't know why him and his wife got divorced, but I would listen to him speak about having successful marriages in the Lord, and then this happened. I don't have all the answers. I'm fairly new to the Lord, but this makes me sad. I don't want anyone to get a divorce. Could I have your thought? Thanks. Uh, Manny, let me me say this, and this is, I hope, an exhortation for you. Don't let people who have disappointed you uh, cause you to be disappointed in the Lord. Uh, we humans, we keep making really dumb mistakes. We keep making really dumb mistakes. And God, in his infinite grace, forgives us. God does hate divorce. And um, uh, a man like this, and I do not know him. I'll talk about uh, motivational speakers in general momentarily. But a man like this needs not to speak about marriage or what a good Christian marriage is. 
because in his own practice, he sort of disqualified himself from speaking about that contact. Um, let, let me say this. Devin Franklin, Tony Robbins, uh, motivational speakers are all the same. And their message is very, very secular. It's about being your best you instead of losing you, dying to self so that you can live for Christ. Um, and, and so they're all the same. And um, they all talk about God. Every single one of them talks about God. Uh, and yet they don't know him. And here's a guy who doesn't know him. Uh, and I'm not questioning salvation. I don't know if he's saved or not saved. That's not my point. But he doesn't really know him. Um the Lord would not say it's okay to divorce and go your separate ways. He simply will never contradict his word. But you see, this is a motivational speaker that wants people to feel good. And, and he's teaching them to to pander to their flesh, flesh, their carnality. Do what you feel like doing. Do what makes you feel good. Do what satisfies. Um, and, and um, you know, they want audiences. They want people to come back. Uh, we've been infected in the church with motivational speakers that call themselves pastors, and their messages are always very, very carnal. So, Manny, um, you stick to your guns. You know who Jesus is. He hates divorce. He 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 deals with it. Divorce is a reality. However, um, don't put your hope in a man. Uh, there's so much out there that you can listen to. Just don't. You don't need to take time listening to motivational speakers. Listen to people teaching the Word of God. Develop a sense of discernment, and you'll be blessed. Thank you, Manny, for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 for your live calls and questions hey by the way just for the, the question we just had for many uh, my producer because he's always doing research in the background um, he just told me that Devon Franklin, who uh, Manny asked about, uh, is an actor in um, the, the Jesus Revolution movie, which is really about Calvary Chapel and how Calvary Chapel started. So he plays the character named Josiah. So if you want to see who Devin Franklin is, um, then just when, when they start talking about Josiah, uh, I saw the movie and I remember the character. Uh, but but that does not qualify him as a Christian or anything else. So um, he is an actor and a Christian. You said his wife or ex-wife was a uh, an actress as well. Um, Hollywood's not an easy place to be a Christian. Uh, not an easy place not to compromise. So um, Manny, go see the Jesus Revolution. You'll be able to see him. We got Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I'm glad you're happy with our almost warm weather. <laughs> Tomorrow it's going to be warmer. I'm thrilled. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> um, 
I have two things. One, for anybody from our listening audience that saw our skit yesterday, that that skit was based on a true story. They're Calvary Chapel ladies, and they, they had um, a mom with them, too, on the camping trip. And they went through all the hardships that was in our play, the, the rain, the stuff getting wet in the, temp, <laughs> in the tent, the cold, the cow, the sensor light. There was shelter nearby. They could have given up and gone on, but they didn't. And there was even a hog, but the hog was real quiet, and, and it just rubbed up against the tent, I think. And, but there are hogs, like, you know, in, in the... In the area, but you know they they all didn't you know come stampeding in the camp. But <laughs> things really happened. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that. I didn't know if you knew that. I did not. Okay, well, so that kind of explains why we had the cow and, and the hog running around. The sounds <laughs> 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 so funny. <laughs> okay, so I want to get back to what I called about last week. I woke up horribly early. And I put TV on, and Dr. David Jeremiah was on, and I like to listen to him. And, of course, he has a good message, but he was talking about a friend of his that took him down into a coal mine way, way, way far down, and he said it was utter pitch darkness. I mean, there was you, you couldn't even see anything. It was so horribly dark. And that got me thinking about hell about I wonder if hell is going to be total pitch dark, despite the fact that it's going to be horrible to be there. It's going to be really dark, too. Then that got me into thinking about Lucifer being an angel of light, and I wondered if you would explain what his angel of light business was, and I would guess that he'd lose all that when he gets put in the bottomless pit, so there won't be any light at all, too. So if you can unfold that part of it, that'd be great. Okay, yeah. thank you, Cindy. Get I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Bye. Thank, thank you very, very much. Um, Lucifer, Ezekiel 28, especially if you read the King James, uh, Ezekiel 28 portrays um, Lucifer as God's brightest, greatest, most beautiful creation up to that point. Um, um, music emanated uh, from from Lucifer, and, and, and he was a light-bearer. Uh, and so that that's where they get the idea that uh, that he is that that angel of light. Now here's the problem: when he is in hell, um, and, and by the way, deepest darkest blackness is reserved for those like him who had the the most access to God. They're the most accountable. So so I would say, yeah, it's going to be pretty dark back there. And yet we can go to to, to uh, Luke chapter 16, and we can see the man who was suffering in torment uh, in in uh, in the abyss, and he could see into paradise. So probably, Cindy, the language uh, that we have is metaphor. Uh, it's poetic language to describe uh, something so dark, so evil, uh, so constant that um, um, we can't even begin to imagine. And, and John, especially as he's getting the revelation uh, from from the Lord, uh, he's he's using human language, a limited vocabulary, as best he can to describe the vision he's seeing. And and we're going to find out that his words are completely inadequate when we get to heaven to describe what heaven is like. I assume the same thing is true about uh, about hell, um, the, the lake of fire, uh, when people are cast in 
and Satan is going to be cast into the lake of fire after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. Um, it's just going to be a horrible, horrible place, completely separated from God. Again, deepest, darkest blackness is one description for it. All we know, Cindy, for sure, is it's going to be terrible. Let me explain to the rest of our audience. Uh, our ladies did their uh, women's retreat skit on this this past Sunday, and uh, it was cute. You know, uh, I was laughing because uh, I, I tell you this all the time: our church is tacky. The people are wonderful. We look like the tabernacle in the wilderness. From the outside, there's nothing attractive. You get inside and you see all the beautiful hearts here, and it's magnificent. But but the truth is, our church is tacky. And every year we do a ladies' retreat skit with the drama team. And it's always fun, uh, handmade props, uh, you know. And I said, you know, Lord... And as I was looking at the skit, I was laughing, thinking, you know, Lord, if we had all of the the stage effects possible and this huge, huge, fantastic facility that that we could do our services in, I'd still want our ladies' skit to be that tacky. It's really good. Ladies did a good job. It was from their heart, and I really enjoyed it. And I had to sit through it three times. So it was really good. Cindy, thank you for participating in it. I was particularly thrilled this uh, this week because we had three of the of our very young women uh in the in this in the skit and I just love the fact that uh the ladies in that skit probably ranged from uh 17 years of age to I don't, I want to be tender here. Um well, let's just say older ladies who were in the, in the in the skit. It was it was great. It was great. One other comment about Sunday uh, for you in the audience. Uh, the Lord put a message on my heart that was a deviation from our normal chapter by chapter, verse by verse study currently in the Book of Acts. Uh, and the message that He put in my heart. Uh, I woke up Sunday morning. Um, I get up at four o'clock on Sunday mornings. Get ready. Uh, for church and get my heart right and and um, eat something. Paul always fixes me something to eat. Uh, and and it was so heavy in my heart. Now, normally I ignore those things because I know what God wants to do, but he wouldn't let this go. So I did a, a, a special message that I think is worth listening to, not because I gave it or because the presentation of it was good, but I think it really shared the heart of God. Uh, so if you would, uh, if you have any interest in watching it, go to calvaryessay.com. Uh, I think the Lord has a word for all of us in these last days. So I hope that makes sense to you. Here is a question from Maverick from our email inbox. Maverick, thank you for writing. This is uh, several times you've written in. He says, hello, can you provide a biblical perspective on Christians practicing yoga? I recently bought a dear friend a a spa package towards helping with lower back pain. One of the therapists considered has a huge emphasis on various yoga practice, was advising my friend to consider an alternate provider, as it's always been my understanding uh, that yoga is demonic, but can't find the words to properly explain it. Thank you for the response. Um, Generally speaking, Maverick, uh, uh, yoga... Um, is is just really, really wonderful stretching. Uh, if you can disconnect from uh, the contemplation 
from the New Age practices, uh, from the crystals and from the other things that, that are typically associated with yoga. Yoga in and of itself. I know Christians. In fact, uh, David Robinson, uh, who is right here from San Antonio, who loves God with all of his heart and is pretty rock solid doctrinally, um, yoga added years to his NBA career. Uh, so, so yoga, the stretching part of it is really, really good. I just think for Christians, we ought not to get involved in the meditative parts of it, um, in the contemplative parts of it, uh, the New Age connection. Um, you know, we can, you can, can, can assume the poses. Um, you can do it thinking about Jesus. You can do it uh, praying. If I was stretching that, believe me, I would be praying. Um, but but I think yoga, it's it's unfair to paint it with such a broad brush that you say all yoga is evil or wicked or certainly demonic. But I do think that yoga that is connected very strongly, and a lot of it is, if not most of it is, to New Age uh, practices, then then that's what I would avoid, Maverick. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that can can help your friend stretch with his lower back and uh, participate in yoga stretching without doing all of the new agey stuff at all. And we don't want to do that. As Christians, we certainly don't want to participate in, in those kind of things. But remember, individually, we have the ability to disconnect from what other people are doing. And we can say in our own hearts, Lord, uh, this is for you. Uh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, Lord. The heavens declare the glory. I mean, there's so much that we can do like that. And I know really solid Christians, Maverick, who regularly practice yoga in groups, but have just have to tune out all of the new agey junk and, um, and, and focus on the Lord. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think we ought to judge people who do it. Thank you very much, Maverick, for the question. Here is a question from Regina. Um, Regina says, I get depressed thinking about how narrow the road is that leads to God. Why isn't the road bigger so more people can find it? Regina, interesting take on the question. You know, the road is narrow. Uh, Jesus is just painting a picture of sort of popularity. Uh, the wide road that leads to destruction, uh, thats it's necessarily wide. That's the picture he's painting. It's necessarily wide because there's so many people on that road who are on the way to an eternity in hell. The narrow road is narrow. We can walk metaphorically single file on that road because there's just not a lot of people. There are far more people who are going to go to hell forever than people who are going to go to heaven. And the reason has nothing to do with God. It's not like God said, well, let me just widen the road a little bit. The, the, the problem is, on that narrow road, we've got to have had our sins paid for. And in order to have our sins atoned or paid for, we have to acknowledge that we're sinners. What we're doing is wrong. And we've got to say, Jesus, I want to stop doing that and I want to serve you. That's what it's called to be born again. And when we do that, uh, we're, we're on this road walking with Jesus. And we're going to find there's plenty of elbow room because the reality is there's not a lot of people who want to take that road. Uh, that road can be as wide as is necessary. But Jesus wasn't painting a picture. He wasn't painting a picture of restriction or constriction. He was simply saying the reality is that the people who reject me, 
that's the large group of people, huge group of people. The people who walk in my ways, that's a very small group of people. So that road can be as wide as anybody wants to find it. All they have to do is believe in Jesus Christ. But remember, the reason you have to be a born-again Christian, the reason only born-again Christians are going to be in heaven, is because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And we like multiple choices in our world. We don't like narrow restrictions. We think, well, that's just cramping my style. No, don't get depressed, Regina. Be happy that there is a road at all. Somebody like me who is such a jerk and hurt so many people and caused so much pain, I am so thrilled that there is a road that will get me to heaven at all. And his name is Jesus. I keep thinking about Job. When he saw God, when he was experiencing God firsthand, he realized that even even though he was righteous in his generation, there was none like him. That's God's own description. His conclusion was that, oh, if only there were a man to mediate between me and God, a man who would stand in the gap between me and God. And if, in fact, um, since that, that road... Uh, is narrow, Jesus grabs some of our hands and he takes us and puts us right on that narrow road and we go to heaven. And that, Regina, is an invitation that's open to everybody. So here's what you do, and I love your heart that you're you're depressed or you get depressed thinking about how many people are going to hell. Here's what you do with that emotion. You tell people about Jesus. When you see people who aren't saved, people that don't want anything to do with God, people that are living uh, lifestyles that, that are, 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 are going to directly cause them to go to hell, and your response simply needs to be, let me tell you about Jesus who makes a way for you to go to heaven. Let me tell you about Jesus who wants to forgive you of your sins because he loves you. He's got a better life for you than you're living for yourself. But it's all about Jesus. They killed him. He didn't stay dead. And because he's alive, he'll forgive you of your sins. That's all you have to do. And believe me, if you'll turn around that depression or that that melancholy that you fall into, if you'll turn that into activity, serving the Lord, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it'll change your whole perspective and the way you feel. And God will use you, Regina, to win a whole bunch of people to Christ? Good, good, good question. Regina, I'm assuming, is a pretty new believer. I just love Manny's question and her question. This is an anonymous question. Pastor, did you read about the SBC, that's the Southern Baptist uh, um, Convention, a disfellowshipping Saddleback Church? Could I have your thoughts? Yeah, Saddleback, of course, a huge church in Southern California, multi-location church, um, uh, Rick Warren was the founding pastor and and uh, was really, really famous. Um, and he has retired. Um, has some health issues and some things. And, and uh, their new pastor, they were specifically looking for a husband and wife pastor team, uh, I think toward the, toward the, the last part of Rick's um, time in, in, at Saddleback. Um, they had ordained Kay, so he was a pastor and Kay was a pastor. 
And, of course, the Southern Baptist Convention rightly understands that women cannot be pastors. And they have tried over and over and over throughout the years um, trying to convince uh, first Rick Warren uh, and now the new um, uh, Pastor Andy, and I can't think of his last name off the top of my head, but but um, and basically they just said, look, you can't continue to be part of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he refused. So um, they disfellowshipped him. Now, I, I think that the, the irony here, Anonymous, is that um, they never put pressure on Rick Warren to do that because Saddleback was so huge and contributing so much money to the SBC that I think they didn't want to rock the boat. In other words, the SBC compromised for the sake of money. And I think there just wasn't any conviction uh, in their approach to Rick Warren um, with the new guy that comes in, a young couple, younger couple. Andy Wood is his name. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I just think it's it's much easier and uh, what will happen, we'll see uh, Saddleback uh, diminish greatly in terms of numbers and certainly in terms of impact. So, you know, if you're going to be part of a convention, then you need to abide by the rules. And when you stop abiding by the rules, then you're no longer part of that convention. You shouldn't be surprised when you're asked to leave. Um, and all over the idea, the issue of women being ordained. So anonymous, I hope that helps. Oh, here's a distressing question, anonymously. Is it true that all white Christians are racists but are denying it? Uh, I'm a white Christian, and I'm not a racist. I don't think I have to say any more than that. I don't know who told you that or why you thought that or what your motive is for asking the question, but to judge people without knowing them Judging them based on the color of their skin is the very definition of racist. So, no, all white Christians are not racist, and we're not denying it. Um, I've said it many times on this program over the years in response to questions that are sort of along this line. Um, you can't be a Christian and be prejudiced against people that God loves. John the Apostle, the, the, the Apostle love, said if you say you love God but hate your brother, uh, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. That's pretty bold. You simply cannot be prejudiced. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians five seventeen, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And part of becoming a Christian. Now, we don't change instantly. It takes some time um, you know, old habits don't just suddenly magically vanish. But the reality is that uh, if you accept Jesus Christ, um, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. At that moment, you begin the, the process of sanctification. Or literally, it's a transformation that makes you more and more like Jesus every day. And as a Christian, I think our first responsibility is to find out what God hates and hate that and find out what God loves and love that. And we know God hates sin, so we've got to hate sin. Most most of all, we've got to hate our own sin. Then we've got to hate the sin of others. But but then we've got to remember, oh, God loves people. And we've got to have a whole new, 
whole new approach to the way we deal with people. People are the point in God's kingdom. And that's why he poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. It's Romans 5, 5. Um, So it simply should be physically and emotionally impossible to be a bigot and a Christian at the same time. Let God have his way in your heart, whatever is true with you. Last question for the day, another anonymous one, three in a row. Um, Here she says, I would rather the rapture come after I die so I don't miss anything. I heard you say that's the wrong perspective. Why? I want to live a full life. Do you think for a moment, Anonymous, that when Jesus calls us to be with him in the air, do you think for a moment that this life here is better than that life? Do you think it's fuller than this life? You you just haven't really read your Bible. You haven't really gotten close to Jesus. Because this is like uh, going to a restaurant and, and knowing there's a great restaurant next door and the restaurant at the, 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 that you're, you're, you're at is, is just filled with bad food. Food's rotten and spoiling. And you say, no, I want to eat here. I don't want to miss out. I like that meal and that, that dish. And when heaven has nothing but perfection, the best thing that could happen to any one of us, Anonymous, is that Jesus comes for us today to be with him to be in his presence. There's nothing like it ever. And we can't even imagine it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has stored up for those who are his. Really, really an important perspective. And the idea that there's stuff here worth living for. I had somebody once tell me, well, well, I want to see my daughter grow up and I want to walk her down the aisle. Would you really be disappointed if your young daughter was raptured before there was ever another man in her life, and when you got to heaven, you could say, Jesus is the only man in your life, the only one you'll ever be married to. How can that be a disappointment? So you're right. It is the wrong perspective. I've said that many times. I'll say it again. But the idea that you could do anything here that would be even the smallest possible comparison to anything in heaven. You just don't get it yet. Look around you. Look at all the pain in this world. Look at all the anger. Look at the people who hate one another. People who can't even communicate anymore. People that can't think logically. You see these young, this young generation being brainwashed, being indoctrinated by the prince of the air. All that pain will be gone in an instant when Jesus comes for his church. So Anonymous, read your Bible. Try Revelation chapter 1. Read that and tell me what you think. Hey, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I will be back, Lord willing, tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. 
The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Hallelujah.